good. How is everybody this evening? Good, good, tired. We made it here. Yeah, made it here. Good news. Um, you're almost as far away from the weekend as you'll ever be. So, but no. Um, excited to be here. Tim um, is not here. He's actually speaking to. I don't know if you would call it a soiree or like some, <laughs> there's a lot of important officials and people assembled in a place and Tim is in his full dress blues uh, regalia and he uh, was asked to speak so he is sharing the gospel to uh, a large group of um, city officials and politicians and things like that so um I would say let's pray for him, but I think he's probably wrapping up about now. Well, it's Tim, so not right now, but here in a little bit. Um, but uh, so that, uh, that's why he's not here. Um, but I'm excited uh, to get to share. And this, uh, this week, so back in, I guess, late August, we're kind of laying out how everything is going to go and just with the busyness of schedules and so on, like, I started working on stuff well in advance. So I wrote this sermon about three weeks ago so that I could start working on Advent stuff. And um, if you do that, like, if you if you preach, like, once you kind of know or you have a feeling for what you need to say, it sort of starts to, like, build and, and well up inside you a little bit and so very pent up right now and so if I come into the splash zone that's why that's the reason Uh, but let's pray and uh, we'll dive into the word God thank you for giving us uh, a church family thank you for loving us enough to put uh, people in our lives that care about us and God, I just pray that you would be with us as we open your word. Help us to see what you have for us to um, to walk away different than than we are, and, and to take uh, take this with us into the week. Thank you for your son, and and for how much you care about us, and and how it does change our existence that we're not the same because of what you did. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this um, this section of verses, and I know like I've, I've said this before, Tim has said it a, a few times, when we decided to go through Colossians, we really um, thought that it, it, it's so applicable. And I feel like every section of verses that I study for me to teach, I'm like, man, if, like, it, it feels like the most important section of verses that there were because if you can see what's here and I know I think that all the time man if I can just communicate this well if I can just get people to see what's here it'll change the way they live it'll change their life and that's true of all scripture but I think just each section that we come to has just been so rich and full if you uh, weren't here last week um Get online and listen to the podcast. Tim did an amazing job breaking down uh, the scriptures, and he shared part of his story. And um, as he as he was sharing his part of the story, knowing that I had already 
planned this out. Like it, um, I was like, man, he like, he's really saying a lot of the same stuff that, that I want to say. And initially when that happens, uh, you're kind of like, Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should rewrite or change or do something a little different. And, uh, when I walked away and, and got back into it this week, I thought, no, like, I think it's really something that we need to hear. There's more there that, uh, even if it's something that you've heard before, needs to be covered again. Mm-hmm. And this section of, of Scripture, I think we find, will we'll identify the reason that we're not living completely sold out for Christ, if we really understand what's going on in, in this section of Scripture. So uh, I'm excited to dive into it. Uh, but before I do, I wanted to share a story of of a guy I knew who, when he was young, he had been, he'd been in the ministry and he'd end up getting a divorce and walking away from that feeling like that was kind of it. I couldn't do more and had grown up in churches where that had been taught. Like if you, if you got, if you had, a, if you'd gotten a divorce, you couldn't be in leadership again. You certainly couldn't teach things like that. And he really kind of believed that to be true. Fast forward a few years, he found himself in a situation where his pastor was asking him to take on some responsibilities. And he just said, I can't, I can't because of these reasons. And he went online and he downloaded articles written by well-respected pastors who had said, if, you know, if, if this is in someone's past, like that's it, they're like, they're kind of done with this section of of ministry. And he was sending those articles to his pastor, just one right after the other saying like this, this isn't something that I'm able to do. And I think a lot of that stemmed from not understanding what we're going to look at tonight and this section of verses. So let's read and we'll dive in. And this is Colossians chapter two, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the eternal spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to, re- to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and... Uh, Severity to the body, but as they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So if you'll remember what's going on in Colossians, um, Epaphras, the pastor there, went to Paul and said, hey, this teaching has become prevalent that Jesus is good and, and you should believe in Jesus and you should hold to him, but there's all these other things that are also have to be involved. 
So you need more than just Christ. You need these other spirits and you need these traditions, these whole Jewish traditions. And you have to hold all of this stuff for it to really count. You need all of this stuff in addition to Jesus. And so Paul wrote this letter clarifying that Christ is the beginning and the end. He's the end all be all. It's all about Jesus and everything that you do should point back to and uh, be uh, centered in, founded in Christ. And that nothing else really matters. Like it's all just things that should point you back to Christ. And if they don't point you to Christ, then you should just eliminate them. And so that's what he's saying, and and he's fighting this notion in these verses. So let's just break down verse by verse, and then we'll talk about where it hits us. And so verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festivals or new moon or Sabbath. And that was just saying that Christ isn't found in ritual. If the things that you do, if the religious things that you do, don't point you to Christ and aren't centered in Christ, then they're just things. It's just stuff. It's just a ritual. It's just something that you do. If it's not centered in Christ, it doesn't really matter. So you can, you can abandon those things. They aren't essential. You can move past them. Uh, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it's just that. If you come and you take communion but you're not focusing on Christ and you're not remembering the work that he did on the cross and how he saved you from your sin, if that's not the reason behind you taking communion, then you've missed the point and it's pointless for you to take it. Because these things are a shadow, but the substance is Christ. So the ritual is just the thing that reminds you of Christ, your Savior. And so if it doesn't point you back to that, it's worthless. Uh, we'll move on to uh, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, people were saying you have to have these visions, and if you're not having these visions, if, you're not, if these things aren't a part of your life, then you're not really a Christian. You haven't made it yet. You have to do these things you have to get to a certain level. And I think we find ourselves there a lot. Like I'm not, I haven't done enough. I'm not this level of, of Christian, right? Like we believe that, oh, well, like I'm like, I'm kind of a Christian, but like somebody like Tim who preaches and, you know, he's the lead pastor and he does a lot of good stuff and he is a different level of Christian than me. And that, and that in these verses, uh, Paul's telling you to throw that, that kind of thinking out. You don't reach this level. You don't, you don't add stuff to your Christianity to eventually become a better and better Christian. That's, that's all just you worshiping you. Mm-hmm. So be founded in Christ and find your, find your worth there. And don't let other people disqualify you and tell you that you're not a good Christian because you haven't reached some fictitious man-made level. So that's what he's saying, verse 18. Uh, Verse 19. 
and not holding to fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished, knit together through its joints, ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now you remember in chapter one, he said, Christ is the head of the church. So if you're not founded in Christ, the head, and your growth isn't coming from that, then it's just made up. It's just man-made nonsense anyway. Uh, Moving on to verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to their regulations? So what he's saying is if you can't earn your salvation, if you can't do enough good works to get there, why do you insist on keep trying? Why do you say like, well, I know that God saved me and I know that I can't earn my salvation. I know I can't be good enough to get there, but I'm going to, I'm going to do all of this stuff so that maybe I can offset it a little bit. Maybe I can balance the record a little. If I do enough good things, if I serve enough, then maybe, maybe I can be qualified and I can, I can make up for it a little bit. And so we put stuff on ourselves that we don't have any business putting on ourselves like regulations and things that we think that we have to do to be a good Christian. But if they're not centered in Christ and if he isn't the head, then that growth is not from God. So he's essentially saying, get back into Christ, connect to Christ, be part of the head of the church, which is Christ. And then your growth happens. You don't, have to, you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, or make yourself go or, or make yourself better. Your growth happens because you're connected to the head. Uh, move on to verse 21 and 22. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish that are used according to human precepts and teachings. How can earthly stuff save you? How can the stuff here on earth that goes away, that will all turn back to dust, how can that save you? It can't. So if what you're doing isn't founded in Christ, let that perishable stuff go. Let it be done. Move on. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So if you're looking to you and you're doing all this stuff and you're building your case for why you're a good Christian, you're building your case for why God loves you, you're building your case for why you're worthy, then you're really just worshiping you. Because if I look at my week and I go, look at all these things that I did, that I'm just worshiping myself for doing those things. But if I look back at my week and I go, man, like it was a great week of me walking with Jesus and he did all these things. Then I'm connected to the head and my growth is from God. Now it would be easy for us to sit here and say to each other, Okay, well, let, let's talk about these other religions that are work-based religions, and we'll dig on those for a little while, and we'll all give ourselves a pat on the back, and then we'll go home, and we'll eat dinner, and we'll get the week started. And, like, that would be the easy thing for us to do. But I think that we all let ourselves 
get disqualified from doing the things that God calls us to do. We tell ourselves, I'm not, I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't know enough. I don't know enough of my Bible to share with people the gospel. There's no way that I can convince someone that the, that the gospel is true or share with them about Jesus because I don't know enough about it. I can't convince someone to come to my church because I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not a good enough Christian. They saw me yelling at my kid in the backyard. They know like they know how I really am. My coworker sees me get frustrated and lose my temper my temper. He knows like he knows how I really am. I can't I'm not a good enough Christian to share with that person. Or it's not the right time of life for me. Once this once XYZ happens in my life, then at that point then I can really follow God and I can really dial in and I can do all the stuff that God's calling me to do once this accomplishment happens, once I get the job squared away, once the kids are all right, once the house is perfect, once this, once that, then then I can do it. Or we might say, you don't know what I was like in college or that one summer or when I dated that one person. And until I've done enough good things, to offset that, I can't really serve God fully. I can't really jump in. I can't really do the stuff God's calling me to do because I haven't, I haven't quite made up for that yet. And I have to get myself to this certain point, at which point then I can, at that point, but until then, I disqualify myself. And I step back off of the playing field and I go, man, I hope somebody tells that person about Jesus. I hope somebody invites my neighbor to church. I hope somebody tells my coworker that God loves him. Maybe if I can, maybe if I can get him somewhere that Tim can tell him. Because I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm going to disqualify myself. I'm going to believe the things, these man-made things, these man-made stuff around me can hold me back. When what did we learn in chapter one? How does Christ view you? Holy, blameless, above reproach. You're every bit the Christian that anybody else is. But it's not just you. This stuff happens in the Bible. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, some of you probably felt right then, like, I don't know if Hebrews is after or before Colossians. So, kind of a bad Christian. Right? You disqualified yourself, right? Like, I'm not a good Christian. I don't know the order. Think about that, though. That, that thought came into your mind, but think about how crazy it is that you would think that your Christianity is based on whether or not you knew that Colossians was before or after Hebrews. But that's what we do. We say, I'm disqualified. Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find the heroes of the faith and uh, the writer of Hebrews walks through these people and you'll see, I think it starts in verse 23 with Abraham. And then a little later you see Moses and then a little later Gideon and David and these heroes of the faith that lived by faith, that believed in God. But let's talk for a minute about when God first called them. God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You know what Abraham did? He didn't run out and say, that's awesome, God. He laughed. He laughed. He said, I'm too old. 
I'm too old. I'm too old, God, for you to use me in that way. I'm not at the right place in life for you to use me that way. Moses, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Moses committed a murder and uh, when he was 40 years old, he, he killed a guard and he was going to free the people on his own and he was trying to do this thing. And he goes to the leaders and they said, who are you that you're going to lead us? And he flees into the wilderness and for 40 years he tells himself that. And so when God calls him, he's standing in front of a burning bush and God says, you need to go lead my people. And he said the exact same thing that those people had said to him. Who am I? Gideon was down in a wine press hiding, like threshing some wheat so that he could make a little bit of bread. And an angel came to him and he said, Gideon, you're going to be the one that's going to lead the people and free them from bondage. And he said, my, like, we're from the smallest tribe. My father's house is the smallest house and I'm the least one. I'm not the right guy for this. I think that's great. And I think that somebody should lead us. And I think that somebody should do that. But I can't do that. That's not me. Samuel went to anoint David and he told Jesse, David's dad, hey, bring your sons like I'm going to anoint one of them. And he brings them up one at a time. Nope, not him, not him, not him, not him. And Samuel goes, are there any others? No. Are you sure there's no others? Well, David, he's out like he's out with the sheep. That guy. But these are the heroes of the faith. And why, why did they believe those things? Why was Satan able to get them to believe those things about themselves? Why is Satan able to get you to believe the stuff about yourself that disqualifies you from following God? Why? Because it's true. Because Satan wants you to have faith in you. But they didn't have faith in themselves. They had faith in God. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible that's able to make Abraham into a great nation, that's able to use Moses to lead people out, that's able to take Gideon down this path where God was messing with Gideon. If you haven't read that story, you need to read it. Gideon says, listen, God, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to put a fleece out and the ground needs to be wet and the fleece needs to be dry. And it happened. And he said, no, wait, wait, wait. Fleece wet, ground dry. And then that happened. And then he assembles this army and God says, hey, you've got 30,000 guys? Too many. That's too many. You need to tell anybody that doesn't want to be here that they can go home. So Gideon goes out and you know he gave his best win-win for the Gipper speech. <laughs> like talking about how, you know, they can, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. <laughs> and you know what happens? <laughs> yeah, it was delayed. A little angry. <laughs> you know what happens? 10,000 guys leave. A third of his army says, yeah, no, we're not doing it. We're going home. And this guy who was afraid to follow God goes, now what? And God goes, still too many people. And he whittles it down to 300. And then God leads Gideon to create a scenario where the army fights themselves. And they never have to do it because God is the one that we need to have faith in. And until we get there, until we get to that point where we are believing in God's power and not our own, we'll always disqualify ourselves. And we'll step back. We'll say no. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. It says, if therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who's he talking about there? 
all those heroes of the faith, all those heroes who he said, they're there to tell you that it is worth living a life that has faith in God, being sold out for God and putting your faith in him. It's worth it. He said, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that's set before us. Stop disqualifying yourself. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about a race again, and he says, don't you know that all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Mm -hmm. At what point will you stop disqualifying yourself from what God's calling you to do? At what point will you say, I don't care what I did in my past. I don't care what happened to me. I don't care my capabilities. I don't care my talents. I don't care what others are going to think of me. I don't care how much I know. I'm going to trust in God to do what he's calling me to do. The guy I told you about at first that was sending those articles to his pastor, that was me. That was me. I must have sent Stephen six articles from different pastors who said, no, like with somebody's divorce, they can't be an elder. They can't teach. They can't do this stuff. That was me. Disqualify myself. Saying, I can, you know, I can set up chairs and I can do that kind of stuff. But when it comes to teaching, I got to step back. I have to step off the playing field because I'm disqualified because I'm not a good enough Christian. And it's true. I'm not. But you, don't, you didn't come here tonight here to hear from me. At least I hope you didn't. You came to hear the word of God. And any idiot can tell you the word of God and it's going to be good because it's true. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So Eric's going to come and, and we're going to sing and I just, it is my prayer that you walk away from this not disqualifying yourself. That we will not be a church that stands back and says, man, I hope somebody else, I hope somebody reaches Oak Cliff with the gospel. I hope somebody shares the good news. I hope somebody builds a church here. That we wouldn't do that. We would say, I don't care about the timing. I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care about how much I know. I care about the God that I serve. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you. Thank you that you're the one that does the work. God, thank you that that you're a God that moves mountains, and and thank you that, that we can believe in you to do it again. God, I just pray that we wouldn't get caught up in us, and we wouldn't get caught up in all these man-made things or reasons why why we're a good Christian or not. God, I pray that we would dwell in you and that you as the head of our church would bring about the growth in us that you want and we would be faithful to follow you, that we would be faithful to show up not because of who we are or what we can contribute, but because of who you are. In your name I pray.